Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyric Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, and mangas. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as-comic-stan, and with me, as always, is my sometimes cheerful, sometimes jeerful co-host, it's Jamie. I like that one. That's good. So it turns out jeerful, not a word. Well, we're coining it, man. I think it should be coined. It sounds quite cromulent, it, I was it? about to make that <laughs> joke. It sounds like a perfectly cromulent word to me. And one day it'll be in the dictionary with our name, our faces next to it. People will be like, oh, those must have been a couple of assholes. <laughs> like, no, no, we coined the phrase. We're not like the embodiment of jeerfulness. Knowing who I am and my personality and my love of language, it's not inconceivable that I would at some point in my life end up coining a word. I don't know that I want to blow my load on cheerful. Cheerful. I was going to say, cheerful's the good one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a generally cheerful, affable chap, aren't I? Yes, but we also have our cheerful moments, and that's why it should be a word, because it works in that context, doesn't it? Although a jeer is like, when you're jeering somebody, it's like you're kind of goading them or yeah, negative them. Yeah, so cheerful. So like I, uh, the way I imagine it was, if you went into work, like what's the, the scenario if you went to work? So I was like, oh, you're cheerful today. So it's like you're happy, you're smiling, yeah. you're whatever. So if someone comes like, bloody hell, you're cheerful today, and yeah, it's like you're just telling people to fuck off, and you're like, oh, get away from me. Gonna, I mean, that's how I approached work every day, right? <laughs> and that's why sometimes cheerful, sometimes <laughs> cheerful, like everyone. And welcome to the, what will at the time of release be the first podcast of 2024. First hey, podcast. but it's our last recording of 2023. Exactly. Final recording of our first full year of doing this, Ryan. Fullish, yeah, February-ish, kind of. We we were working on it before then, but release-wise was from February. Yeah, but I suppose. Basically a full year, basically. But it's our first year. Yep, yep. And as I said, we're crossing the threshold of recording in the end of 2023, releasing in 2024. Whole new world, baby. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the uh, Christmas special. Uh, which came out on Christmas Day. I mean, how many other podcasts are releasing podcast episodes on Christmas Day? And Turns you know out a few, quite yeah, a few, actually. I had feedback from a listener who listened to it on Christmas Day. Yep. He, went, he was on his way home, uh, driving home from his family Christmas, and he popped it on, and he had some notes. The download numbers were surprisingly high for Christmas Day, right? which, which, which made me happy. It also made me wonder, and this will be a behind-the-scenes thing, we'll go into more detail in, in longer term. <laughs> But is it something we do every Christmas day? Because like this one was a coincidence. It was we release if, on Mondays. Monday was Christmas. Yeah. But also we could just like earlier in advance do a Christmas episode. I like, think I think we knock a Christmas special out in 2024. We knock a Christmas and New Year's Day special out. Mm. Well, the New Year's special should be the cheers and jeers then because mm. we can do that whenever. Um, it depends as long as there's no like big times we want to do around the time because sometimes... Um, films come out on christmas day for some reason like america they go to the cinema on christmas day which is well, weird what jewish people do well so, it's, it's a, re- it's a lot of christians do it as well apparently yeah but traditionally like the because obviously on christmas day in america way back when everything shut hmm. the only things that were still open were movie theaters and chinese restaurants so on christmas day because it was the only thing they could do that was like vaguely normal Jewish people would go and get Chinese food and watch a movie. Mm. It's like a huge tradition over there. I think enough like non-Jewish people are also doing it that to the point where studios were like, let's get the big Christmas Day release schedule, yeah. which I think this point might have been Aquaman 2 and no one get cared about. I think, I mean, I think the idea that the world, like at least the Western world shuts for Christmas is kind of anachronistic now. Like I needed a vape on Christmas morning and I went to the jet garage and I got a vape on the way to my family Christmas and... There were people, like, I had to drive through Norwich City Centre to do so. And there were people, like, doing their things, walking about together. 
Like the the city centre didn't look closed in the way it would have done had I done that in 1993 yeah. as opposed to 2023. You I know? think, yeah, petrol stations have always been like the, we will be open because someone will desperately need petrol or diesel on this day. Uh, gas for Americans. And I think that they were just like, we need to be open because yeah. we're going to make some money. It's capitalism. And what is more Christmassy these days than just pure, unadulterated capitalism? <laughs> it's and, very true. And speaking of capitalism, we've done a lot of episodes of our podcast. And that's why, as you'll see from the title, this is our cheers and jeers of the year. So yeah. it's a little bit of... <laughs> for those of you listening to the podcast as opposed to watching it, my cat, who is covered in flea treatment, is just harassing Ryan. Basically climbed up my front to give me a, a boop on the nose, as they call it. <laughs> but uh, she can't at the moment because she's covered in poison. Chemical uh, poisons to the fleas, which is what we want. It's like a um, Starship Troopers kind of scenario. We're just <laughs> chemical killing the insects kind of thing. Yeah, she doesn't have fleas anymore. I know, this is preventive. This is preventative flea treatment. So cheers and jeers, best of the best and worst of the year. We're not doing too many worsts because I like I don't want the negativity. But we're doing the middest, which we, I'm really excited about. The most average. Well, we're gonna be so we've got categories <laughs> and we're going to be kind of rating the smaller cat some there's some large categories and wait to look at them because there's I'll wait till after we do the first one if you can. Yeah. Because the first one I think is good. So as I said, we're just covering all and we've got some categories and we're just kind of going over what we did looking towards the end of the ones released in 2023 but also a back just on the episodes in general how we felt about stuff so, as it happened i think this is a wonderful time to, for us to reflect on air before we start mm. how do you feel about the stuff we've read this year i think we've read some good shit i we did a lot more modern stuff than i realized mm. when i kind of did the list and i'm i'm proud of that because i want to be kind of with the times and what's happening as it happens but also i feel like we also did some of the most important ones especially early on because we didn't know what we were doing early on so mm. we we're like let's do why the last man let's do mouse for our fifth ever episode yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so our first episodes were why the last man that finished publishing in what the 2010s yep the pokemon manga from the 90s yep mouse which came out in what the 80s maybe i think so there's i mean we did like there's some alan moore in there that's pretty vintage now we did uh rogue sun which was our <laughs> my attempt to be like let's do something modern which we liked rogue sun though, rogue sun was we? really good uh, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was our Alan Moore like <laughs> introduction. Our Alan Moore moment, baby. He came up a... within the first five minutes of this episode because he had to. I mean, I've got an Alan Moore quote for the end to, oh! end, to end on. So for reference, guys, Ryan compiled this list because um, I think it's fair to say I'm a busier person than you. Uh, I've got admin time, yes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a slightly busier human than Ryan. I've got more on my plate at the moment. I mean, this takes me up to an almost equal busy level. Yeah. So Ryan has compiled the categories and the lists, and we've agreed that I'm going to go in blind. So I'm shooting from the hip. It's all jazz mm. on this end. Ryan knows what's going on. I haven't got a fucking clue. That's kind of how this podcast runs anyway. Yes. And this <laughs> a lot of the earlier stuff is based on like our memory of like, ah, oh, that was pretty good. Like we, we're testing our memories, yeah. both visual and whatever the one would be for like story, you know, and writing and dialogue. But we're, we're pushing the boundaries of what we can remember. What I'm waiting for is when we, I think there should be a, an extra secret category at the end which is the most forgettable comic and it's the yeah. one that neither oh, of we us did that one yeah, yeah yeah if there's if there's a comic that neither of us remember doing they win the award for most forgettable now another thing humble listener that i'm yet to explain to ryan i think i wow. floated this idea in maybe october but i've remembered it and i'm committed to it i found a bloke who mints medals in norwich and he does so incredibly affordably yep 
And so I am thinking that depending on how many of these there are, I might get medals made and try and send them to the the relevant people. Um, I don't know if that's just like maybe if it's the best artwork, it just goes to the artist, yeah. or if they if I just have, have a medal made up and I send it to the head office of Marvel DC, or DC, yeah, literally. Yeah. And just, you could send it directly. Even those people, you could send them directly to the person. Yeah. And so, I mean, they'll have like publicists, I suppose, or managers, maybe. Maybe. With some address or something. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, it's it's going to be a research project for me. It's probably not going to happen until like February. Let's be frank here. Because ADHD monkey. But the, a lot of best ofs don't happen until January mm. February. Like, as I've explained before, I follow my pro wrestling and a lot of like the biggest end of year things don't happen to like mid january and early february because they just want they want that cut off time to be like right it's done now let's look at everything and tell you what i looked at a best there was like a best matches of 2023 and there was one that was like well obviously they're going to put this one like it was widely regarded as one of the best of its kind of matches and they didn't put it in because they recorded it before <laughs> it happened in november and yeah. i was like fuck you like you're we- not doing a proper one I mean, we have we have floated this till the very end of the year. I think we've done an excellent job. Bear in mind, this is now the nape of the year. This is the gooch of the year between Christmas and New Year. Like, we are both knackered. It's been a long year. I've had the closest thing that I'm going to get to a weekend for a while. Mm. And I still don't feel rested. So we're just going to smash this out. Power through. Power through. See what happens. I'm quite excited for it, though. I've been looking forward to this weirdly i've been looking forward to doing this more than any other episode it's there's something in it like it's why the youtubers all do the the best of for the year mm. if, they, if they cover stuff throughout the years the best of at the end it's always good some numbers because like mid-year it's like oh we did this thing and you're like ah i'll watch it, i might not when it's yeah. like here's the best of the year it's like well i might miss something so i need to go back best comics of the year like i'll look at other people who have literally read all the comics which i do not have the time for <laughs> they so don't have jobs <laughs> what, that's why i aspire to be one i yeah. hope to one day be the person who's like look i read pretty much everything and here's the best and here's the worst so that's aspirational for me but in the meantime i have to you know go to others for that opinion and then if they've mentioned something that i haven't looked at then i'm like I'll give that a read. And that's how I've discovered a lot of like the best ones of the past couple of years. So yeah. one day will be that for other people. At this point, it's just what we happen to read <laughs> that came out this year as well. Yeah. We're also, I've made notes on this, how loose I've been with the does it count for 2023? <laughs> you will see what I mean when we get to it. There's there's a bit of like, oh, that just gets in, just about Matt, just uh, cuts the rug. Well, so should we'll we just there. jump into the first category then? Yep. So the first category, I said, we're, we're doing kind of the most weirdest ones first, and then we'll get through to like the bigger, more important ones. <laughs> I'm just in the first one. So the first one, <laughs> the first category is the best second part of an episode of the podcast and the nominations are the return to scott pilgrim so what do you think one uh well by default ryan and that would have been better if you'd laughed at me <laughs> saying it than reading it beforehand <laughs> uh, it's gotta be the return to spot Cox, scott pilgrim yes and but you've always got to have a that... fantastic time we did have a good time it was a weird one because that we didn't I don't think we had as much to say generally because it was a continuation of all the same art style, your panel layout, that themes, that kind of thing. I think this is a very clear indication that actually for us returning to stuff probably doesn't work out very well for our format. I think a second part, we just have to be aware there's going to be a shorter one. Mm. And I think at that point, we were still holding on to this, like, we've got to hit an hour and a half and like yeah. going going into 2024, we're going to be less committed to that. I would rather make a shorter amount of good content than trying to stretch out 
an idea or topic that doesn't cover that time. Well, you want to aim for a tight hour, don't you? I, I'd like to for my own editing uh, time. <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, a second part deserves a a shorter time where we just then talk about the context of the writing. Maybe there's some of the bit, if we get an ending, there's like a, we can explore that a bit more. And well, what I found with the Scott Pilgrim one was we were talking like more in detail about the story. Uh, also because that was the furthest part from the film so that was a bit more interesting to me whereas in the first half i was like this part happened in the film and this part happened in the film and you were there and you were there have you watched the series yet no i haven't yet i haven't got around apparently it's very good it's really good the one thing that i had one critique of it which is that it was fantastic that the whole cast came back but i didn't necessarily believe michael sarah's voice come out coming out of animated scott pilgrim's character model if that made sense yeah i can see that yeah i think he was a good live action scott pilgrim and i think they were good to get on the back of his ascending fame at the time yeah totally because he probably was only he was the only name Mm. that's so not true there were some huge names in that film he might be but he i think he was the biggest name to be that role at the time to be fair i did see an age like milk on reddit and it was literally someone was uh criticizing the scott pilgrim film for not having any names so we we can now say in retrospect they're all names because they all became big but at the time what chris evans wasn't captain america yet i think he'd done human torch fantastic four but that wasn't the other colkin was in there but he wasn't huge at the time he was literally just macaulay's brother at that point yeah yeah yeah. uh kendrick who hadn't done pitch perfect yet and that was her big one um she's fantastic brandon well. mouth who hadn't been superman yet yeah yeah, yeah totally so like, you've there's... got a lot of people who hadn't hit their big time yet but it was oh, what's his name the director Come edgar on. wright it's edgar wright and one of the things that i i certainly think of edgar wright is that he makes fantastic casting choices absolutely yeah. i mean look at the way baby driver was cast yep so a, well cast one Scandal particular noted. one particular age like milk there, but, <laughs> but he was a good actor so you can't he's, say he wasn't yeah no he's a toss pop he's a fantastic actor mm. so easy easy award to start off with pra- yeah. a practice award if you will can i announce the second one sure sure the second one is the best star wars episode would you like to read all the nominations and the nominations are darth vader 2015 and the first appearance of Ashoka, Clone Wars 2008, both pretty vintage. <laughs> and I, I think they do require a little bit of debate because I really <sighs> enjoyed Ashoka. Darth Vader was better. But the Darth Vader one was better. It was, it was just a really good book. That's the only yeah. thing that edges out over Ashoka. Was, Ashoka was really interesting and like some good writing there, but it didn't quite hit the heights of like exploring good, great writing that was exploring this time of a character that we hadn't... A, one of the most prominent characters in Star Wars, yeah. who we hadn't seen this time period. Yeah, I just, I just think that Darth Vader comic was more well realized. It was snappier. I think the artwork in the Ashoka comic was better in Clone Wars. I really liked because I liked the artwork in Clone Wars, didn't I? Yeah, and it was a bit more how to describe it. It was, it was a bit looser than the Darth Vader one. Darth Vader was it was crisper, and it was, yeah. a, it was a bit more like closer to the films. Well, there, there's, there's a thing exactly. Darth Vader one was closer to the films and live action. Ahsoka was closer to the Clone Wars animation. Yeah, so I totally. think that was the biggest difference. And I, I think, I think the other thing is that the Darth Vader comic really presented us with Anakin already Vader, but Vader becoming the powerhouse that he was. We were watching Darth Vader consolidate his power, which we never really get in the films, and I thought it was a fascinating idea. Um, so yeah, it has to take it, doesn't it? Yep, it just yep. has to take it. Easy win, but a, a good runner-up. I don't know that it was an easy win. Like, there's not a lot in it. They were both really good. Hmm. Should we assign uh, <laughs> comic literate exclusive uh, Gen Z parlance awards or rankings, shall we say? Yeah. So 
Darth Vader. So to remind the rankings, so the top one is goated. That's yeah. like really great, like possibly best of the year, like that kind of level. Yeah. Um, based was based. was like good. Like, got some good stuff in it. Not necessarily the best, not perfect, but still a lot of good stuff. Mid. Mid was, like, forgettable, not good, not bad. And then cringe is your... It's just bad. It's an like, F. Yeah. It's a fail. Or D minus. <laughs> like, yeah. even if it's passing, it's the lowest passing. What's the term? The American term is C's make degrees. Yeah. But D is like, they also technically make degrees, but they don't, <laughs> they don't look good. C's look at mid, D's look cringe. In Australia... They don't have grades that are to their degree course. You either pass or fail. And the passing grade is like straight down the middle. I think it's either 50 or 60%. Mm. And they have an expression over there, which is P's get degrees. It's right. just like, it doesn't matter how well you do, P's get degrees, baby. Right. <laughs> that, as long as it rhymes it, that's all that matters. <laughs> so Darth Vader, I think I would give it a, uh, a based. Yeah, it was, it was based. Good. It wasn't goated. Yeah. I think there's going to be very few comic books in this that get goat status. Yeah. And Ahsoka, I, I'm, t- I'm between based and mid. Like, I'm going to go based. It's, if there were inter-rankings, then Darth, would, Darth Vader would be high-based, and Ahsoka, I think, would be low-based. Yeah, I, I don't think it's mid. Like, yeah. there was too much interesting stuff going on there for it to be mid. But not enough to blow me away or, like, remember it excessively. Like, Darth Vader had introduced a new character, which became a big staple of the Star Wars comics in Dr. Aphra. So to one that they're actually people are clamoring to bring into the films. Yeah. Totally. Whereas Clone Wars, like you could say that for Ahsoka, but Ahsoka that was because of the Clone Wars animation, not the comics. So yeah. that's that's I think the difference. So next category, I is, think we're going to have a discussion about this one. I think it's an interesting one. It's one that I only thought of when I was looking at the list. I was like, oh, yeah, we've got a few of these. We could do this. So not that that would stop me anyway. But, <laughs> So this one is the best biographical or non-fiction, interchangeable in some cases, yeah. episode. And the uh, categories are, or the nominations are Mouse, uh, Pride of Baghdad, the Remembering John Romita Senior <laughs> episode, which has an interesting backstory if you know the lore of the podcast, yeah. uh, Brief Comic History of Humankind, and What is an Avant-Garde Exploration of Creativity in the Creative Process. I almost made another fun category, which was which title that jamie dictated word by word <laughs> having to be exactly correct i'm trying to think what the better term was like what's the opposite of ad lib or like to improvise like it's really scripted yeah yeah, yeah. has to be word for word but oh yeah because you changed it and i was like no ryan it has you, to be this way it around. has to be exactly as i said it and i was like i don't care enough to challenge you <laughs> so i'm gonna be honest with you there's a couple of these that are based mm. but there's one of these that is goated I would put two as goated, actually. Um, oh, you shoot first. Well, I think we're both on the page for Mouse being goated. Mouse, Mouse is one is of the goated. best comic it's books of all so time. Good. Yeah, so good. And this was ca- kind of my argument going back to like why we shouldn't give awards for ones that didn't come out in 2023. Totally. Because imagine, unfortunately, I don't recall his name now, but the writer of Mouse being like, I've got an award for some podcast <laughs> the goated or biogra- biographical slash non-fiction of 2023 like the most random like if he just kept getting them every year it's like you won again like doesn't matter when it came out so uh yeah mouse is obviously the best um but i would i would go ahead and put i think pride of baghdad up there as well i agree with you i agree with you i mean it's hard because when we're talking about john romita senior the episode itself was non-fiction it was biographical yeah but we were talking about a real person and his fictional work so i kind of feel like that doesn't have a place here 
So I feel like really we're talking about Mouse, Pride of Baghdad, a brief comic history of humankind, and what it is. Sure. Now, I think what it is is based. Like, I think all of these are either based or goated, if I'm honest with you. But Mouse is my clear winner. Like, I mean, that was an early episode, so I wouldn't even necessarily recommend listeners go back and listen to it, because we yes. were just learning what we were doing. Well, here's the thing. So, yeah, do we, are we looking at the comic or the episode? I think the title. I think we're looking at the title. I, okay. think, it's, I think it's a bit self-congratulatory of us to have... <laughs> we are so cool and thoughtful for doing Mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Like, Props it's to the, us. It's, I mean, you kind of... I feel like a lot of superhero comic fans wouldn't even know what Mouse is. Yes, I think the the thing about Mouse is, if you've ever been in a bookshop that sells comics, it's almost certainly been like a, a stood up, like featured comic. Because totally. I think bookstores like that kind of like, bookshops like that, like, well, we do comics, but here's a, a, a informational one about serious topics. So I think they like, yeah. that, I think it's quite popular in that regard. But again, popular in the sense that people see it and know it, but not have read it, which is it's different. It's very literary, isn't it? Yes. Let's be frank here. But I would definitely say it's, the, it's definitely the best. It's definitely the winner. Mouse is the win of the, of the category. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the best of the kind. Um, brief history of, uh, a brief comic, of, oh, bloody hell, ruin it. A Brief Comic History of Humankind yeah. is not a title I've had to say three times because I've cut out the first two. But <laughs> also it was one that was, it felt like a kind of tourist in the comic genre. Like it was like a passing like, totally. hey, we're just doing a little appearance in the comics and then we're kind of back off to serious books, you know. I mean, it's an adaptation of a fairly scholarly book. Yes, exactly. And then what it is, I think, is so out there um i mean i would i would describe it as based i liked what it did even though if i didn't get like the intended experience from it i think that like what it is and what it set out to do would put it in base for me because it was found just it so really interesting jarring, didn't you? some parts but then other parts like the, the actual story and narration parts i found really interesting yeah. so so again based easily just for how good those parts were yeah totally i mean i think this is a really interesting character to judge because it's so outside of what we normally do um hence why there's only a handful and we're mm. about to get into <laughs> i've yeah. just seen the next one um but no i mean i think i think in terms of like episodes if we're talking about so we've, we've, we've kind of talked about the books in terms of episodes that i'm proudest of i think even though mouse was an early one i'm really proud of mouse i'm really proud of the way that we tackled a brief history of humankind yeah yeah i'm glad we did it and it's it's, it's the kind of thing i would like to keep doing occasionally so we just have at least a couple of ones at the end of the year for for this category yeah there's some of the episodes that i'm proudest of even though even though they weren't you know they're not necessarily as successful and people don't like them as much but no i think and, and i think i think the what it is episode was a really turning a real for me in my mind a bit of a turning point for the way that you and i talked about comics yeah because it was something that was so far outside what either of us were used to reading. Yeah, and it definitely highlighted like the techniques used to convey story and more especially meaning through the comic medium. So again, like that kind of influenced my reading of comics afterwards because I was then looking more at like how the eyes travel the page and things like that. I mean, we were looking at that before as well, but it, it definitely added an extra dimension to looking at comics. I mean, it was the first time we'd looked at a comic that really is fine art. Yes. It, well, I uh, I would say we've had some... It depend, It completely depends on your definition of fine art. I think we've had ones that have uh, gotten into that 
territory but yeah. it's it's completely object uh, it's completely subjective so yeah so do you want to introduce the next gag oh do we need to assign levels for all of them uh no i think i think just kind of talking around that's it. fine yeah for that category especially the next one is huge yep. and this is the meat of the episode is the most superhero shenanigans in a comic book so we've got rogue son um superman for the man who has everything mm. Uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, Meet the Scrolls. Which Mar- I th- Marvel, I think that counts, even though it wasn't very superhero. It was superhero-ish. Oh, it was it? superhero adjacent, yeah. wasn't it? Um, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, The Flash, Flashpoint, The Amazing Spider-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think we should really just be talking about the last Ronin here. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Blue Beetle, Graduation Day, Human Target, uh, The Boys, Spider-Man, One More Day, Invincible, Miss Marvel, um, the the Kamala origin, Kam- the, yep, origin Kamala of Kamala 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 Kamala. one, and the Marvel Holiday Special. So I think in this category, because we read so much modern stuff, we should discount all the old ones and just talk about sort of 2022, like maybe 2021 onwards. Well, see, it's interesting there because in terms of superhero shenanigans, like mm. the definite, because if we're looking at like what we've, what you have coined essentially on this podcast as as superhero shenanigans. Flashpoint is like one of the prime ones as an example Cringe. of how bad it yeah, can be. That I mean, you've pulled out what for me is like in terms of it's either the best superhero shenanigans or the most cringe superhero comic, depending on what way you choose to look at it. Well, exactly. And I think especially, because I think you can have good things with superhero shenanigans in them. Like if it's anything can be done well, but I think Flash Flashpoint is a prime example of superhero shenanigans hindering a story because they've just put so much in of this yeah. stuff at the detriment of the plot as you primarily described it was um the story was oh no we're in a tough situation ah this person has turned up i coined a term for it didn't i mm. the deus ex character yes exactly yeah. <laughs> which i'm really proud of so yeah there's a lot of deus ex characters where people just come in and swoop in and save the day and there's just a lot of deep superhero lore bollocks that you need to wade through to even get anywhere with it. Mm. Don't think it's that well written. Don't think it's that well drawn. And then to go, I think, in the opposite route of uh, superhero shenanigans, I mean, we've got a couple. Uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, I think was used shenanigans well. Goated. Yeah. Totally goated. Such a great comic book. Such a great idea. Mm. Oh, yeah. I fucking adore that book. I think it's fantastic. And then uh, equally Rogue Sun, but for very different reasons. Because it started off in its own isolated universe while building with other titles as well. I think Radiant Black is like the core one, which hopefully we'll do at some point. Yeah. But Rogue Sun didn't have as many other universes and superheroes and characters to cause shenanigans. Yeah, and, and the superhero shenanigans, they were they were treading on quite well-worn um tropes, mm. but they were using them in interesting ways. And they were trying to build a new comic book universe and they were trying to jumpstart one from the ground and i really and respect that. it's still going so we can only assume it must be successful yeah well su- commercially successful enough that they're still printing them right yep um and so yeah i think i think i mean i i don't i don't think rogue sun's based but i don't think it's dull enough to be mid i think it's like i'd say but i'd go based but because i, I like a super story and it was a good one so yeah for me i'd say based i mean for me i suppose there's like there's the again it's that it's that fuzzy area between based and mid because it was not mid. It was pretty good, mm. solid writing, enjoyable story, but it's not. I think that's when you have to default to with it, with any category. If you look at if it's if you feel it's between two, and then you go, well, it can't be this. It's it has low, to be the other. It's one. low based. Yeah, it's like it's like 
if we were putting these in, you know, the charts that YouTubers use for things. Yeah, yeah, the S to F rankings. It, it, it would be like low C, like yeah. a, you know, mid, like middle of the pack, maybe kind of towards the bottom of the pack for the based comics that we're going to talk about today. I'd go hard based, and again, I've explained that it's the subjective difference. I think it's, uh, yeah, I just enjoyed a superhero uh, comic, uh, Superman for the man who has everything. Uh, a good level of shenanigans. Like, I felt like that was shen- super shenanigans written well, because it was around this main story. I don't remember it. It's the Alan Moore from the... It's Superman's dad's a Nazi. Space oh, because here you've said it's released in 2021. Sorry, sorry. Those are the episode release dates, just so I remembered when we did it in the year. So it's that, that's the Alan Moore one from the 80s. Right, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. that was great. Yeah, and again, <laughs> shenanigans done well, because it's like a mix. It's the superheroes kind of meeting for Superman's birthday, but the main core of the story is Superman in this uh, hallucination of if he'd stayed on Krypton and, you know, what he could have missed and everything. So I think that was shenanigans done well, but, you know, from the 80s, so pinch of salt. I think there are three here that really hold a special place in my heart, and I don't know which one I would choose to give the award to. So this one specifically is, as again, most super shenanigans. So because I really liked Human Target, but it was quite light on the shenanigans. Exactly. But it was fantastic. Well, that's going to be released. That's going to be a best of or worst of 2023. So we'll, yeah. that'll come separately. So if it's low on shenanigans, that it's not as considered at this point. Um, Spider-Man One More Day, very shenanigany. Fucking cringe, man. But here's the thing. When we actually dissected it... And I think we could talk about it more here because it's the only category appears in, really. I warmed it, up to it, didn't I? Well, when we broke it down, the story was actually pretty good. It was Spider-Man yeah. wrestling with, you know, the effects of his choices on his family and yeah. weighing up. And it's just the ending that ruins it spectacularly. Like, yeah. So, and that that's a different kind of shenanigans. That's retconning shenanigans. Mm. So that's a very specific kind of shenanigans where it's like, oh, you remember when this happened? That doesn't matter now. Like, that <laughs> yeah, I suppose in the way it fits into the wider context of Spider-Man comics, it's very shenanigan isn't it? Yeah. But- uh, Invincible, I like, redefines super shenanigans. Like, it kind of does it in the best way possible. Great. Yeah. I, I, I would put Invincible as goated, but that's because I've read the whole thing. So that's yeah. maybe not as good an indication on, like, what we read. His dad turning out to be the bad guy? Yep. Goated. In terms of that story twist... Like the way they set his dad's character up as being like a loving family man and all of those beautiful interactions with the mum. You yeah. know, it was really lovely. And then blam, he's the bad guy. He yeah. murders all those people. It's like, it's brutal. It's mm. heart wrenching. Great storyline. Great story twist. Very yeah. shenanigany. But it's like, it felt like its own version of shenanigans that were kind of more appropriate and they didn't like solve problems. They kind of created, they yeah, no, they were shenanigans that, yeah, you're right, you're that so right. fed into the ongoing story. Like, I love, the bit that really stuck with me from that one is where he sends the son to go fight that alien. And, and they just talk it out. Well, yeah, they talk it out and he realises he's been fighting the wrong guy, but the dad has just been fighting him every time without talking to him. Mm. And it's like, that's such a cool little character thing, and it was so well played out on the page. Like, yeah, yeah Invincible is probably better than I maybe even gave it credit for in the episode. Yep, yep. And again, I, I'm attributing what I what later happens to it. So yeah. um the only other one I think in terms of shenanigans that needs mentioning. So Mars Morales Spider-Man, that had some shenanigans, but very mid shenanigans. I can't like, really remember it. Again, that that might be a point for it. It was it. pretty like, mid. Yeah. Uh but amazing Spider-Man. 
<laughs> oh no, Ryan. I've got some points afterwards. Is later. this the John Romita Jr. one? Yes. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I've got some points later that I'll talk about in the 2023 category because what I read of it afterwards came out yeah. in 2023. So we'll get into that. In terms of what we read, the first five issues, it was a bit shenanigany, wasn't it? The other one that I think we need to talk about fantastic comic, heavy on the shenanigans, Miss Marvel. Yes. Yeah. But to be fair, to be fair, the shenanigans that we normally talk about is like, <laughs> oh, look, that that person's here and that person there, whatever. Ms. Marvel, in those fir- that first volume, the only other appearances were her own hallucinations. Yeah, so they more informed actually. her kind of inner monologue and her inner t- turmoil um, personified by these hallucinations of her heroes in the Avengers. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I don't think either of us really had that, other than the janky art. There was a bit of jank, wasn't there? Yeah, but I feel like that was stylistic. Like we've yeah. had that discussion in the episode. But... Yeah, totally. Like we both came away from that episode with a really, really high opinion of that comic book and mm. everyone involved in it and the character and what it kind of meant for comic books going into you know this new kind of age or generation, yep. if you will. I really liked that she failed in her first attempt at superheroing, and yeah. then in her second attempt, she redefined the goals. Yeah. So it wasn't the so what's a very tropey shenanigan thing is I've tried to fight the big bad. Oh no, I've lost. Ah, but the now I've got the power of friendship and I've won. Yeah. A la Blue Beetle graduation day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Ms. Marvel, she redefines the goal. She's like, right, just get the hostage out. You're yeah. not going to beat anyone. You're just going to outsmart them and just get, achieve this one specific goal. Yeah. And I, to me, that felt very real. That felt well, more real. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it on that basis. Um, I think if we just, uh, in terms of most shenanigans, I'm putting forward the flash flashpoint yeah no it's cringe and it unfortunately wins the award for worst shenanigans in a comic book that we read in 2023 and should we just do a quick fire uh grading of this list yeah Um, yeah totally it might change when we get to it in another category but here we go so rogue son i'm going based based uh superman for the manners everything gotta be based goated man that (laughs) shit is good and it's alan moore i'm sorry that by virtue of being written by the great alan moore anything that moore wrote just automatically goated all right i'll give you that i will concede (laughs) goated on this point supergirl woman of tomorrow goated Goated, obviously obviously. Uh, gonna have a little bit of comic book news once we've done with nominations i hope i remember to do in this uh meet the scrolls mid mid. yeah (laughs) miles spider-man mid Mid. the specifically 2022 version yeah Flash, Flashpoint, cringe. So cringe. Amazing Spider-Man, gotta be cringe. Gotta be cringe. Yeah. Even though I enjoyed it when I first read it. <laughs> but it's gotta be cringe. cringe. Uh, especially for what happens after. I will yeah. not let that go at I all. I mean, based on the conversation that we had about it that is still lying in the archives. Yes. Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. I'd say based. Based, I enjoyed yeah, it. that was good. Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Oh, Mid. low mid like mid. I, i'm almost in base uh, i'm almost in cringe but I'll I, li- go. I think because i liked it i yeah. did i i remember liking it i had my issues with like you, my scarab is telling me your scarab is evil it's like <laughs> my brother in christ <laughs> you have a scarab <laughs> so, that's the third time that joke has appeared <laughs> it'll be the last of 2023 because it'll be last we talk about it yeah, so yeah. yeah low low mid uh human mm. target goated, goated. easily so goated. Good. goated the boys now I, i'm gonna go 
I'm going to go based. I think I did. I would have gone goad when I first read it because it was just like a kind of new thing. Like I didn't read it when it first came out. I read it yeah. years after. But it felt like a new thing of like, oh my God, the Super is all not just bad, like villains, but like really shitty people, like yeah. irredeemable. Um, but the TV show has contextualized how good it could have been because it's doing yeah. it better. So I'm going to go based on the boys. Yeah, I mean, there's some parts of it that are cringe. Yeah, absolutely. Like there are some elements the way the way it deals, particularly the way it deals with homosexuality, um, sexual assault. Yeah, pretty cringe, man. Like I don't think it was well dealt with. I don't think it was elegantly elegantly dealt with. Like you know, sometimes you want to tell a story and it features those things, and you have to get on with it. Um, but there's some elements of it that, that are cringe. But in terms of the effect that it had on comic books going forward. It's kind of got to be based, doesn't it? Because See, it's just so highly regarded. Not just that for me. For me, the thing about Garth Ennis is he is like the edgelord's comic book writer. Like he will put in the most horrific, edgy, for the sake of edgy kind of stuff. But what saves him for me to, to sign that label wholly is he is really good at writing these relationships at the core of them. So like in The Boys, Huey and Starlight and huey and billy like yeah, yeah. their relationships and how they how they interact and how they're affected by all this stuff going on around them which is like horrible i garth Ennis is really good at writing these he writes solid characters these character relationships at the middle so yeah i'm gonna go based didn't he also write um, preacher yeah which yep. again is goated like so good yep. and again really dark yep exactly so yeah. you know it's weird that there's some of the darker elements of this i find a bit yeah, awkward now. I read uh, there was a subreddit on a uh, the comic book subreddit, mm. and one of it was what is the edgiest comic book ever written? And one of the consensus answers was a comic called Crossed, and it's written by Garth Ennis. And the plot of Crossed, and you can tell where this is going, but it's like there's a virus that basically, when people get it, they get this cross red cross on their face like a rash kind of thing but it also drives them to do the most evil shit they could possibly do yeah. so that's like contextualized by whatever this person whatever you would think is the most evil thing you could do is what it makes you do and that obviously relates to like if your loved ones are nearby and stuff like that so just immediately an edgy topic but what's interesting is apparently the story is quite good in the in the center and he also at one point he just stopped writing cross uh, crossed but it kept going with other writers and one of the writers who stood in to do a couple of issues alan moore really and apparently alan moore had a, he was he was really good terms with um garth ennis and he gave him the advice uh garth ennis of like write comics that you own like own your own yeah, shit yeah, yeah. like animal gave him that imparted that wisdom and garth ennis kind of took that going forward once he'd done the major stuff with the other labels yeah but yeah the interesting tidbit uh spider-man one more day cringe, cringe for the man, even so even though there's really good stuff in the body of the story the ending just absolutely sinks into cringe like yeah. it just cannot be denied how bad that ending is uh invincible goaded uh, i think based oh uh, that's fair but yeah as i've said i'm judging on other stuff yeah but and i can't help but bring that to the to the pages but i we can't we read. put it up there with like supergirl yeah that's fair i think if you read the whole thing i do genuinely believe you would put it up there but yeah I, but i'm not but making not you yet. change it but i've not read it yet, yet. Exactly. that's the thing isn't it uh ms marvel i'm gonna based really yeah, enjoyed it, it. based totally. had my issues with it but base and the marvel holiday <laughs> special <laughs> gotta be based like do you think at least based like it was a fun read like yeah i suppose i mean it's somewhere like low based kind of yeah i went it, some it of the stories were totally mid some of them were a bit cringe but overall it was pretty good right yeah it was just a fun time 
So, yep, that's it. And uh, there was one, I think, just above that you missed. It was a little a little one above that one. So just above that. Oh, it's my turn to read it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so this one is the best slash worst superhero comic of 2023 that right. we did. So small list. It's smaller than I anticipated in terms yeah. of superhero stuff. So of this one, we've got Miles Morales Spider-Man 2022 to 2023, Blue Beetle Graduation Day, similar time frame, and Human Target, which actually ran late 2021 to early 2023 it just, just scraped by by like one or two issues but you had to put it in there because it obviously wins it obviously wins it's, it was it's goated, fantastic yes. as we've said it is and uh, you know what? i'm just gonna say this news now because i was gonna mention it separately i was gonna mention it up top i forgot but bit of movie news so comic books no get adapted shit. so temper your expectations but this okay. is significant to me so um movie news comic books get adapted to movies we know this yeah. the dceu has just finished essentially with aquaman 2 which kind of <laughs> kind of contributes to why it's not doing so well because people are like Poor why jason, momoa. Why sh- jason yeah. momoa deserved a better superhero and a better run of films well there's a strong rumor that he's going to be in the new dc so this is the thing the dcu currently has ended because they're starting a new one in right. 2025 and there's strong rumor that he's going to be playing a character called Lobo, who he would be, I think, perfect for. Lobo is like a motorbike riding alien bounty hunter. I mean, that kind and, of is Jason Momoa anyway. And he has like <laughs> big hair or dreads or whatever like, version of him. Uh, he talks like the uh, he talks like uh, the big daddy uh, Lobo ain't going to stand for this, mama. <laughs> like that kind of talk, which I think Momoa can do. Yeah. So yeah, a uh, uh, strong, like he's like obviously upset about Aquaman, but I think he's probably going to be in the new one, uh, in the new DCU. So new DCU is uh, helmed by James Gunn, who they pinched from Marvel. Uh, cool. He's doing Superman Legacy is going to kick off, which I think is going to be awesome because James Gunn makes great Superman films. Is Henry films. Cavill coming back for that? No, the, the new one's been announced. Who? Uh, he's kind of unknown. Like you wouldn't know, if I, even if I remembered his name, you wouldn't know him. Okay. But he's, but that's what you want. You want someone to build into it. Oh, yeah, but Henry Cavill kind of was that, and he was the perfect Superman. But he, but he was of that version, the Zack Snyder version. So they yeah. want to obviously reboot it. They want a younger Superman so they can start off young and build him up from build, there. Yeah. The news is so we already knew that James Gunn was a big fan and was going to be incorporating uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Woman of Tomorrow. In as a Supergirl film, yeah, written by the one and only Tom King, yeah. Apparently, Tom King is going to rumor is strong reported rumor right now is he's going to be a big part of the DCU going forward. What script writing and stuff like his stories being used uh, and having an input. They did the before with Jeff Johns. He was the previous. DC. Yeah, Jeff Johns wrote Flashpoint. So <laughs> <laughs> might explain the last. Uh, yeah, maybe not so good. But Tom King. Tom King's awesome. And what I'm really hoping for, like fingers crossed, if we can get it, is a human target live action with. John Hamm as Christopher Chance. Oh Can you imagine? God. Older, that's perfectly fine because he's like established and he's yeah, experienced yeah. by this point. He's got that grey on the sides. Yeah, a little bit of salt and pepper. He'd be perfect Christopher Chance. He has a real presence as well, doesn't he, John and Hamm? that silently contemplating. I mean, he's got that from Mad Men, obviously. So yeah. him in Human Target, I think, would be amazing. I, I fucking love John Hamm. If I was Tom King, I'd be like, I will do everything else you want me to do. Can you please just adapt Human Target and put John Hamm in? Do you know what's wild is that in my head when I pictured Chris Chance speaking, it was John Hamm's voice anyway. Mm, yeah. Like perfect. I think we may have even mentioned Mad mm. Men in the episode. Can you imagine? Especially with John Hamm's comedic chops as well. Like he He's wouldn't funny. He, yeah. He wouldn't be exercising as much, but I think he'd be really good as a Christopher Chance human target in a suit talking to 
uh booster gold in the in the what was totally. it the what did he, bagels booster's bagels yeah, yeah, yeah and so he wouldn't be overtly funny but i think he'd have that comedic timing to react to like a overtly funny booster gold totally yeah he'd be fantastic at it and james gunn likes booster gold as well so i think he's probably going to have him in as well Sick. so that's really cool yeah so great news like the dcu looks good coming in so a bit and it'll give us reasons to do tie-ins so the next category well we we didn't actually talk about what our so human target obviously the best yeah and to be fair we did those in the last one mars Morales, and blue beetle i think we're both mid yeah we both ranked out of them there's a clear bottom here which is blue beetle yeah yeah for me yeah it's got to be uh... even though the mars morales story wasn't the best mars morales story i've ever read Mm. the character being as cool as he is kind of bumps all Miles Morales stories for me are just a little bit elevated. Yeah. Whereas, unfortunately, and I think it's as correctly pronounced, but we were doing it incorrectly on the episode, Hamai or Hamey, I think is how people refer to him. We said Jamie on the on the episode, but I think it's Hamey or Hamey. Oh, uh, right. It's just because it's spelled the same way. As yeah, exactly. Name. And we're Western idiots. so Absolutely. But yeah, Blue Beetle graduation day again, Had I had too many issues with it to, to give it anything more than the bottom rank of this of this category no of so this limited very limited this, this next one's quite interesting the mm. best and worst horror episodes yep and there was a lot more i realized outside of our spooktober specials yeah well we, we did a, we did a whole month of spooky season but mm. we did a few so ice cream man mm. uh something's killing the children nice house on the lake i was debating whether to include that one or not nice house on the lake i think it fits it absolutely has horror, horror elements it's kind of more of an existential horror isn't it, it Yes, but it does have like apparition type characters and things like that. So, yeah. Uh, Maniac of New York, Mm -hmm. Uh, The Neighbors. Um, (laughs) So, we did Harrower with the Rick and Moy episode. So, that's mainly looking at Harrower as an entry. (laughs) uh, Spider Man One More Day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even putting that in. (laughs) And Five Nights at Freddy's, The Silver Eyes. Mm. So, there's an obvious winner here. Yep, I think think oh in terms of quality in terms of quality of these comics we've listed it's got to be nice house on the lake yeah fantastic comic. but is there an argument for like did another comic do better horror specifically well, i think the best horror title there is maniac of new york yep yep i i think ah, something's killing the children was a really good one for me i thought like i it was a really inventive premise and i think they did it in a really good way i don't know that that was necessarily a horror or an action thriller it, uh, action horror it could be and i think that kind of still passes it i mean it's monsters killing people i mean that mm. that sounds like quintessential horror at the end yeah, of the day doesn't I it suppose. even though it i know what you mean it had an action-esque style of how the story played out and everything and fighting and beating the monsters in terms of what nailed the horror tropes the most though, surely it has to be maniac yeah maniac was the quintessential slasher horror and the be- and, and I, I think, other than um, Nice House on the Lake, which is probably the best title here for me, mm. is, you know, if, if we're discounting that because it's not quite over the line of what we would call a horror. Yeah, within, again, with it was considerable, but I think within this specific, um, norm- within the specific category, I think Maniac does horror a bit better than Nice House on the Lake. I think it clinches it, doesn't it? Yeah, just about. Because, again, Nice House on the Lake was so good. Nice House on the Lake, I would put in Goated. Yes. Maniac of New York, I would say, is based. Mm. But in but terms of better than the other, yeah. But one was more of a classic horror. I mean, it was yes. a straight up slasher fic, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ice Cream Man deserves a mention of the anthology horror type. I mean, I suppose it was the first anthology we really did, wasn't it? Yes, and we weren't 
quite sure how to tackle it because it didn't have as many like running themes or stuff like that so yeah i mean i i I did a bit of a spot check on the episodes a few weeks ago where i listened to maybe half an hour 20 minutes of a bunch of them and i remember going back and being like oh i don't know that we necessarily did that comic justice by the way that we reviewed it because again we were quite inexperienced this was like last summer wasn't it yeah exactly maybe maybe even before then early this year i think like spring this year i think yeah so we'd only been doing this for a few months yeah um but again the comic itself was really enjoyable Mm. it was enjoyable but our tastes do both gear towards like running narratives and stories that we can get our teeth into which it had this kind of background narrative about like the origins and what the ice cream man character is and and the cowboy which was like his his the protagonist to his antagonist but was barely in most stories yeah. so it was interesting like it, it's in terms of individual ranking i definitely buy ice cream as based oh 100 percent. like uh, it's definitely not mid it yeah. was really interesting to read yeah but the winner the winner of this definitely has to be maniac of new york for the reasons you said the story i think continues to get good uh in maniac that does go into 2023 so it yeah. could have been included yeah. in that but I, and even though it's the same kind of style and writing i thought we didn't read those ones they come out in separate volumes like they come out like five issues at a time yeah, and then you totally. don't get any for months so we did what we, like we've only included what we've covered which was not in 2023 but a great horror nonetheless so yeah. um yeah maniac of new york based again as you said uh something's killing the children i'd say based i wouldn't quite go into goated like that's, no way yeah so high base for me for something's killing the children uh the neighbors totally mid I yeah definitely mid yeah it. it was a kind of swing and a miss like you could tell what it was going for was a bit lofty thinking back to the episode i remember us both being like oh it's okay like we didn't hate it did we there were elements that were good but they were fewer and further in between yeah it was a bit mid uh the rick and morty that we read it's <laughs> cringe <laughs> i know yeah. it gets better yeah, but we've what we read this. was cringe. Yes. Yeah, it was just it was it, it was just or was kind it of... or was it kind of more mid? Like it was kind of forgettable. Like I don't think it did much bad. I think we had higher expectations. Yeah, I of... suppose there was nothing wrong with it. So yeah, it probably is a bit just more mid, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but then when you're talking about like one of the most popular TV shows currently going, a comic tie-in you would think would have some kind of expectations that it didn't meet. So I think yeah. that's why. It feels worse than it is i'm not throwing spider-man in there because the horror <laughs> element was just how bad how it was bad and we talked was. about it yeah and then five nights at freddy's totally fucking cringe cringe yes that was not good i did see the five nights at freddy film um and you can tell that it's this did th- you actually watch it i watched it was yeah. any good <sighs> parts of it were all right but the pro- so here's the biggest problem with it for me and i think a lot of people had as well you could tell that this guy, Scott Cawthorn, who made all the games, or at least had a hand. He, I think they got a bigger studio and he was a yeah. creative driver in later ones, yeah. even if they didn't do them all himself. Maybe just a creative director. Yes, but he did. He wrote all the books and he, and this was that too, and he wrote the film. And the problem is you can tell by the film that it's already indulging in the larger franchise before yeah. it actually delivers a solid film in itself yeah um like one what the biggest example of this for me was there's a part where the character who is revealed to be the bad guy from the games who turns out to be the only character who was introduced earlier in the film and didn't come back until the very end of the reveal but was pre- pre- shocking but was played by matthew lillard who did a great job in the performance i will matthew say lillard. he was shaggy in the scooby-doo films and oh, also he's great yes and, i like that guy and for horror elements or like you know the gore stuff he was like the one of the original killers in scream franchise uh, so he brings a bit of that to the performance right, which okay. is great but 
when he's he's caught in the the suit and the you know the gears the the the, yeah, the yeah. spring locks are going and he's dying like that he's going as he's dying he goes i'll be back oh i always come back and it's like for the franchise if you know the entire franchise that's appropriate yeah, yeah, yeah. but for a first off film where this human being is dying for the first time for him to be like yeah i'll be back though it's like you don't know that the like, stakes are super high here yeah for you to be saying that the horror is meant to be that you come back later and that's really bad but it's not yeah, like yeah, he yeah. doesn't know he's going to come back it's a level of foreshadowing that they probably shouldn't be setting up at this point isn't yeah. it it yeah, was yeah, a bit yeah. of a uh building a franchise before you've got <laughs> before you've got the first good film kind of problem yeah you've not made iron iron man yet but you're still trying yeah. to bootstrap the mcu off of some nothing right exactly yeah, yeah. it's it's worse than dc eu because at least they had man steel first and that was like a solid film on its own i mean then even, batman v superman went franchise heavy even the dc even dc like even though they didn't have a whole lot to try and build that particular cinematic universe from it's fucking dc man they've got batman they've got superman yeah like they already have two of the biggest franchises in comic book history hmm. five nights at freddy's has nothing no and it it's- just has an old burger joint and some suits. Like, yes. there's nothing there, is there? And dead kids, obviously. Oh, loads of dead kids, yeah. yeah. It was running before it was walking. Whereas the DC just has dead parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whether on Krypton or in an alleyway in Gotham. <laughs> They're all dead. So, yep, that's the horror one. Uh, did you read... You read the whole ones, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yes. Sure so, time. this next category is the, I thought, an interesting category. Best or worst tie-in slash comic adaptations so this one it's a bit of a far-reaching concept but i thought appropriate and like an interesting concept in itself yeah so these are comics that were made or about something that was pre-existing yeah so it's not so much the if it's like a sequel comic but the you know it's not a comic based on a comic or anything like that it's like there was an existing franchise Here's a comic tie-in or adaptation of a part of the franchise. I mean, there's some in there that aren't that as well. Well, let's go through them and so we can kind of get yeah. across like what so the difference the nominees are. are. Yes. Uh, we've got Darth Vader 2015, yep. adaptation of obviously the Star Wars franchise. Guards, Guards, a Terry Pratchett adaptation. Yep. Um, Barbie, which is hey. a tie-in <laughs> by the strictest term, I'd say, tie-in yep. to an existing franchise. Uh, I've got Ahsoka again from the Clone Wars. Uh, we've got the Rick and Morty comic. Yeah. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, as we just talked about. And we've got Doctor Who, Once Upon Time Lord, which yeah. we recently did. So Again, there's a clear winner here, but I, I resent the fact that we're going to give two awards to one comic. I mean, if it wins it, it wins it. Like, we can't, you know, it's like when uh, the Oscars, like something yeah. clean sweeps all the awards. <laughs> like, if it's good enough, it's good enough. So, I've, yeah, Darth Vader, I think. Yeah, yep. totally. Like, it was, it was so good that there were Star Wars comics before that. Yeah, and then when they started these ones in 2015, people went, "Oh, the Star Wars comics are good again." Like that was like the react, like, "Oh my god, these Star Wars comics are like," because people were kind of crying a bit, like the the fan base that that was the period of time where everything pre the films or everything that wasn't the films before that point became legends. Yeah, so that was when it's like it's not canon; it's a story within the universe. It's not; it might influence what we do later because that obviously happened with Ahsoka, but um, but it's not canon now. So I think what's interesting and something that something that we have to know is that we currently live in a golden age of cinematic Star Wars stuff. Absolutely. There's TV because Disney got hold of it. There's TV shows coming out a couple times a year. Mm. We've had a whole new trilogy. I'm, I'm, I imagine there's another trill in the works. Like I imagine they're going to keep probably. Shit yeah. out. In 2015, we had had the prequels, the sequels, and then all of the books and comic books. And that's kind of it. 
Yeah. And so actually, at the time, 2015, this was kind of the only Star Wars shit that Star Wars fans were getting. So, and so they ex- they needed it to be good because it was the only place they were actually getting Star Wars stories. The only other thing they had at the time which remained in the canon, like somehow clinged on to like the world, the entire universe disintegrating in this one piece of one piece of content just managed to hold on was the Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah. So those animations stayed on. I think they were already planning on expanding that, but just because they were so popular. So Star Wars fans had the TV shows. But they were for kids. They Initially. Were, yeah. I mean, they're great. We but, both love them, don't we? But Yeah. And the comics, you could say, are for, I don't know if you could say they're for the kids or not, but they are at least exploring more of the serious, you know, themes and stuff from the TV show, yeah. uh, from the films. Um, a lot of killing and maiming happening in the comics. But then there's a bit of that in the Clone Wars as well. So, but I think, I mean, there's more maiming than killing in Star Wars. There's an actual yes. term that they have for taking someone's hand off. Uh, yeah. There's a very like Jedi, like old Jedi planet language I mean, term for it. Couldn't it be disarming? No, there's a special name for it. But disarming already kind of means that. Like... Yeah, but they have their own name for All taking right. someone's hand off. Right. It's like a sacred act that you perform so that you can disarm somebody without killing them. Hmm. So you don't have to kill somebody. Probably why you it's can... so common. Yeah, you can make them an ineffectual Jedi. And it's like a, it's like, it's written in as a technique that has always been used by Jedis. Right. It's like, I need to deal with this person, but I don't actually want to kill them. It's fair to say it's probably a sword thing beforehand, like a sword fighting thing beforehand weirdly not so much hmm. because most people who fought with swords would be wearing greaves right and so you know going for someone's hand is a lot less effectual than either running them through with the sword jumping on them pulling out a dagger and getting in the nooks and crannies between their armor or just flipping your sword around and battering them with the pommel hmm. um yeah i mean sword i mean traditional particularly traditional medieval european sword fighting you're not going getting someone's hand off is quite a fiddly technique and there's actually quite a few bones in there Mm. and so you wouldn't really go for that as much Mm. i'm sure there are instances where where swordsmen did lose hands but generally probably with like a broadsword not necessarily losing the hand but a broadsword like came down like broke the hand yeah to- yeah you, you're more you're more likely to just smash all the bones in someone's hand with a sword than you are hmm. to and again broken bones in the medieval era before they knew how to set them properly were pretty terrifying mm. you know you were you were likely to lose a lot of the usefulness of a limb by breaking all the bones in it yeah um and 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 to a certain degree i'm not really sure what era of sword play the lightsabers are based on it's very flashy I think they take a bit from all over because like, yeah. I think they incorporate him into the different styles in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, because because the way they start is like based on real ones. Like Obi Wan's was always the the holding over the head with the two fingers pointing. Like that Which was his is stance. Very unrealistic. Yeah, but the, I think they incorporated like, oh, this looks kind of cool. Yeah. Like we'll make this. So I the- think to a certain degree, um, what happened in the original trill and then in the prequels to find the way that swordplay looked in movies for a long time. Yeah, I'd say so. So back to the comics. Hey. Yeah, I was I was going to make a point. I was like, oh, that's like the first tangent of the of this episode because obviously we're kind of more focused on these different things. But I went on the tangent about the DCU, so I yeah, can't. Yeah. We can't really claim that. But totally fewest tangents in an episode potentially. <laughs> so going through the list and giving some rankings. So Darth Vader, we already put as like pretty based i think i don't think we yeah. did we go goated on that before and i don't think I mean, so the fact that it now has won two awards i think gets it goated status maybe yeah maybe we elevate it it was a very fun read so uh yeah it's been promoted through winning awards guards guards 
cringe. That was a cringe adaptation, yeah. Yeah, and and it's such a shame for me because I adore Terry Pratchett so thoroughly. Mm. Um, you know, he did so much for the British novel. I think he did made huge leaps in humanizing and destigmatizing fantasy fiction mm. for for a whole generation. And then that adaptation was just a bit piss weak. And I, the art was all over the place, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um I and think- a, and again, I think the the current the undercurrent theme for that whole episode is you were going, Jamie, this bit doesn't make any sense. And I go, yeah, because in the novel, mm. all this other stuff happens. And you were going, oh, well, that would have been really cool. And I'm like, yeah, it was in the book. Yeah. I think the best part about it was the content and the story. But again, you can't credit that to the adaptation because you've they've made it worse. So. The one thing that you liked about it were the Sam Vimes quotes. Yes. Is, is that Sam Quimes... Yeah, the bits where they just lifted something that Vimes said in the book and popped it in a speech bubble or, you know, overlaying a piece of art were really great because they're Terry Pratchett quotes and he's yeah. a very quotable writer. But in terms of the way that adaptation was dealt with, I felt really let down by it because mm. I was super excited to do it, wasn't yeah. I? I was like, these Terry Pratchett adaptations, they're going to be brilliant. It's Pratchett. He wouldn't have signed off on it if they weren't good. And then they weren't good. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, it, it's an adaptation. It's the strictest definition of a- adaptation. So we have to judge it on those merits. And unfortunately, it comes in cringe. Uh, the Barbie comics. Goated. <laughs> goated. Totally goated. I mean, Fantastic. I read way more of them than you did. Yeah, no, they were awful, but they are goated. <laughs> <laughs> Should we say at least based? Because I think based on what they were, the goals they were actually trying to achieve. Goated. <laughs> put it this way. If we weren't doing it for anything else, it'd probably be cringe. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got, I th- we've got to judge it on what the actual goal of the comic was. In the same way that that... Terry Pratchett adaptation, the goal was adapt Terry Pratchett, and it did not do a good job of that. Barbie, the the goal was highlighting and advertising the Barbie toys. Let's be frank here, they're totally cringe. They're awful. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. But this is, uh, maybe we should go, we'll show, should we go mid? Because in terms of what the comic is, but also what it's set out to do, yeah. it kind of goes high and low. So I think it middles out at mid. I think the reason i remember the barbie episode so fondly is because a it's a fantastic episode yeah it's one of the few early episodes i would encourage people to go back and listen to um because you and i had so much interesting stuff to say about the barbie franchise and what it meant culturally and the origin story for barbie is Mm. fantastically interesting you know real great deep dive into corporate america and the way it works and so it, for me, it represents a really fun time in that first year of the podcast of us. It was last summer. We were recording with the sun shining and talking shit about Barbie, right? Like it was just a mm. fun time for us to be making this podcast. I was tempting the idea of uh, faking out the Oppenheimer yeah, crowd. Totally. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't do that. Yeah. We, we, we would have gotten smoked for it. We wanted, we wanted the Barbie attention with how well the film did. Ashoka based. Yeah, we already gave a base, so that's uh, that's good. And um, then Five Nights at Ferry's, Freddy's, cringe as fuck. We already yep. know this. Rick and Morty, cringe, we already called. And uh, one we haven't talked about yet, the Doctor Who, Once Upon a Time, Lord. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we need to talk about is the fact that we've had Shooty's first episode as the Doctor now. Yeah. I thought he was a good Doctor. Um, the first episode is a bit cringe in the way Doctor Who episodes can be, especially the first ones. So Doesn't when, it descend into a musical number? That he sings a bit in the middle, but it's because the aliens are singing. So he's Right. And they I think I was hoping for some kind of explanation because I watched it and I was hoping for some kind of explanation of like, 
oh, this is how they do it, so I'm doing it to... But they didn't give that explanation. Yeah. So it's like, did you just sing along because you felt it? And fair enough, That's if that's how you're defining this doctor now, then he, that's the thing he does. Like, sure, he's a good singer and dancer, so use those tools if you got them, I suppose. Yeah. But my issue with the new doctor is how they introduced him. How so, did they introduce so, him? So, you know the whole regeneration thing? We've covered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. They did this thing where basically We've they... covered it. Yeah. <laughs> They broke, well, let's say they created new rules. Now, that, right. in its, that in itself is fine for Doctor Who. Doctor Who is constantly re, revising and regenerating. Create, yeah, and retconning changing. rules and all this kind of stuff. What they did here was they, instead of David Tennant regenerating into Shuri Gatwa, what they did was they, it's called bi generation. So what it was is the regeneration process caused the new one to be created, but for the old one to still exist. But why was it David Tennant regenerating into him, not the last Doctor? So that they haven't explained yet, but they were hinting at it. So there's some connection where like, because David Tennant's Doctor was like, why am I back and why am I drawn to the char- the companion Donna Noble again? Yeah. So they're, they, they haven't gone into it yet, but there might be like an ongoing story of why this Doctor... Because the Beeb wanted connect- something good to show at Christmas. <laughs> well... And it was the 60th anniversary. So I think yeah. they wanted like a let's get an old one back kind of thing. But the problem for that for me is regeneration of the Doctor Who character. Normally it requires a bit of a gamble. So it's like mm. all in on this new Doctor. He's regenerated or she's regenerated. There's no going back. It's all on the shoulders of this new actor. And I think that's like a bit of a, a, a faith in the new actors. Like we're, yeah. we're all in on you. Let's go. With this bi-generation angle, I felt it undercut uh, Shui's introduction as the yeah. Doctor because it was like, we've got a new one, but David Tennant's one, he's over here and he's yeah. not, not going to be in it, but he exists and we can pull him back if we need him. If we want to. And that to me felt like a half-hearted introduction to the new Doctor. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting because the BBC came under a lot of smoke when they hired Peter Capaldi, even though he's a fantastic actor. And a big Doctor Who fan. And a huge, I, I didn't know he was a big Doctor Who fan, yeah. but he's a fantastic actor. And I think he was a great, you know, great casting. And then they hired, I don't know her name. Jodie Whittaker. They hired Jodie Whittaker. Again, jo- was it Jodie Whittaker? Yeah. Right. I've never seen it. I didn't know who she was. Yeah. She's good though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they came under a lot of fire for that because she was a woman. Yeah. And I imagine, I can almost picture the fact that there are certain corners of the internet that are angry that the doctor is a black man now. Yeah, but they they always exist, and who gives a shit, really? Well, no, who gives a shit about their opinions, but also you can only throw enough poo at something before it is covered in shit, right? And so I do wonder if that was a way of them protecting Shooty a little bit. But yeah, but again, I think the problem is if you compromise on this kind of stuff, then you you lose out both ways. Because really, they should have stuck two fingers up to the racists and been like, have you not seen fucking sex education? Have you not seen how good an actor this guy is? But the thing is, by by hiring him anyway, by making him the new doctor in any sense, they were going to get it. So there was no point compromising at all. And I don't think, again, I don't think it's because of race or anything else. I think, and I might be wrong. But I, I think it was just this half hour, like, people really like David Tennant. So, you know, let's do a thing where he's still around and we can get him. But they already just did a thing where they could get him. They just yeah. re- did this other regeneration. But it feels like, it really felt like a, don't worry if you don't like this new Doctor, regardless of what possible prejudices or just cr- or just criticism of the, of the content and the writing and the story. But 
regardless of that, don't worry about this new one because the old one you like is here. And that felt to me like a sitting on the fence, trying to have your cake and eat it too kind of yeah. thing. So again, I saw the first episode with Chewie and I think he's good. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what else he does. Do you know what? The fact that it's him is going to make me watch some of it because I've not watched Doctor Who for a long, long time. Mm. But the fact that it's an actor that I really like and who I really rate and who I think is on his way to doing really huge things is definitely going to make me go, oh, I should probably watch some of that just because Shooty's in it. Yeah, it's worth trying for sure. And I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes, especially with Russell T. Davis back at the helm yeah. as well. It, I do want to correct something from the Doctor episode, if anyone listened to that. So there was a lot of discussion about the Whitaker series the writing being not very good yeah. like they threw a lot of other stuff at the wall of like oh this is wrong now and this has changed and we're doing all this um i attributed that to stephen moffat who does get a lot of flack for doing a lot of weird stuff and not great you know show running of the show but it was a guy called his name was gimbal i can't remember his first name um but Can he maybe i don't know but he was the one who did the wicker series so he's more to blame for the worst <laughs> elements of yeah, it yeah yeah but yeah, little correction, but yeah. So after that Doctor Who tangent, uh, the comic, Once Upon a Time Lord, I thought was, I was surprised by how good it was. Yeah, we enjoyed it, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it was funnier than I thought it was going to be. I <laughs> surprisingly really empathized with the um, the villains. I can't remember their names, but they were basically like story critics. Yeah. And they were like criticizing the story as they went. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, <laughs> that's us. It was very meta, wasn't it? Exactly. So I would, I, I think easily based. Oh, totally. Uh, I don't think goaded. Yeah, not not quite good, but it, uh, it could have. Like, it, mm. it's something else by Dan Slot in this could get to that level. Yeah, totally. But, like, that was the first one, and there's mm. a whole run of them, isn't there? So, so yeah, definitely based. And uh, close to the best tie-in. Uh, do you know what? Yeah, it's between that and Darth Vader. Yeah, I think weirdly. Darth Vader edges out because the actual Star Wars comics got a lot more, like, talk when they came out for how good they were. And let's face it, Vader's cooler than the Doctor. He is, yeah. Like, just infinitely cooler. It's Vader, man. But the Doctor's not meant to be cool. But I see your point exactly. So now on to our final um, category. This is the big one. And this one's... And it's a few... Well, actually, it's a few categories. No, but it's a few categories. Yeah, it is, yeah. So you can see I've put a few in there. uh, If you want to pick one to start off with. Let's just go... Well, let's save the big one. Well, so we'll assign the different categories as we go. So... Yeah, so let's start... It's the... Best and worst comic, and then we've got art, writing, and panel layout. I want to jump in with panel layout. And these are specifically of 2023 releases. Yeah. So panel layout, it's hard because I don't remember the panel layout for a lot of them. The one that really jumps out to me is A Nice House on the Lake. That had great panel layout, absolutely. Fantastically laid out, really mm. beautiful. But the other thing is that some of these Marvel ones, I mean, obviously The Amazing Spider-Man, cringe for yeah. art yeah, and yeah. panel layout. The the thing that I'm thinking of here isn't actually on the list. Is this just stuff that came out in 2023? This is, yes. Right, because the one that I was going to say is um, uh, Superwoman, Supergirl. Mm. Yeah, 2021. The so. big splash panels, man. Yep, yep, they, they were good. They, they definitely would have inched out the art for me. But if we're talking about big splash panels, or splash pages, 8 billion genies. Well, I was about this, yeah. So should we just talk about panel layout? I yep. think a nice house on the lake gets it yeah i'm looking at the list i i really like the panel layout of human target i think but it, in it scanned beautifully yeah. didn't it and that is a that is a quintessential tom king uh attribute of his comics is the three by three and there wasn't that many three by three well no there was but 
he's full of three by three. yes but his that's he makes great scanning of characters in that where there's not as much talking but there's like conversational dialogue and stuff like that he does great horizontal thirds as well exactly yes horizontal so, thirds he does really well and he did that he used that to great effect you know when he's first waking up mm. and we see three panels of not much movement and it's kind of yeah just fantastic just beautifully laid out and I, I re- think I really was- like the panel layer of Cosmic Detective. I know that one was we weren't so high. Oh on. yeah, Cosmic Detective. You know that was quite well laid out, wasn't mm. it? And it had some nice art, which which coincided with the panel layer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting with um, a nice house on the lake because it was really well laid out, but it was also mm. quite esoteric in the way it was laid out. It was yeah. unusual. It, it didn't it didn't follow the straight Tom King horizontal thirds or mm. the grid layout that we see a lot. It was kind of all over the place, but really effective. Yeah. Um. So I think I think maybe Human Target gets it. Uh, it is between that and Nice House on the Lake. It uh, is, isn't it? Nice House on the Lake. I think it did more interesting stuff with the panel layout than Human Target. Yeah. Human Target, I think, scanned really well as just a st- reading a story. Yeah. Nice House on the Lake actually played with the narration of the story and yeah. like the perspectives and who we're talking to and had a character kind of appearing and disappearing and how mm. they were interacting with them um i think i'm gonna have to give it a nice house on the lake i think it just about it did more creative stuff with it and i think that kind of burns it the i'm price. cool with that i'm cool yeah. with that because i think there's another couple of um categories here that it's going to be in high contention for that it maybe won't get yes exactly. and it deserves something here doesn't it because yeah. it was stunning so i think yeah best laid out comic of the year mm. and well nice house on the lake art kind of kind of goes hand in hand with panel layout i think the r with nice house on the lake was great and interesting but i think there's other titles here which i think i remember more for being like amazing and like really like rememberable like nice house on the lake i remember enjoying at the time but there's no specific panels that i'm like Oh yeah. God, remember that. Like so and it had those, but I'm just not remembering them now. A great art in Nice House and Like, that's the main thing. But very painterly, great mm. use of colour. It was just all around a really great comic yeah. book, wasn't it? The thing with panel layout is who do we send it to? Because we here's the thing with <laughs> comics, you don't know specifically who's actually laying out the panels. Yeah, totally. Because the writer will write some kind of panel layout just to say well, what happens what. on the specific process doesn't it exactly and we know tom king likes his three by threes because he that's in all of his titles even though he works with different artists yeah so we know that's him full and through we don't know necessarily i'm i can't remember off the top of my head who the writer of nice house on the lake is and whether they oh was it is james tinian the fourth yes yeah and he also did Something's Killing, Something's the, Killing children. the Children. So the panel layout was quite different in Something's Killing the Children. Yeah, and the art style was completely different, wasn't it? So, like, pure speculation, maybe it was more of the artist than the writer in that instance. Yeah. I think for that one, we're just going to have to put all the... We'll have to put the writer and artist. Just like, look, whoever did it, panel layout was banging. You've, you've won this award. You've won the award, yeah. yeah. So Best art. Yeah, best art. I think that's going to be an interesting one. Human Target, I loved the art in. But I think it's more because I was invested in the story. So Human Target was great. And I loved that kind of soft toned thing that I had going on. I think when two characters were conversing, it looked great. I think Mm. the art was doing a really good job of telling the story. But I do think there is an obvious winner here. I think you're going to go with A Billion Genies. Yeah. Because remember those splash panels, man? Yeah, 100%. Before we go further, do we or do we not do worst panel layout? I think the problem with that is after you get good panel layout you just get it's all bad i don't well not bad all mid like it's it's all all mid at worst of these tiles i've never looked at one where i was like 
where do I look next? Like I've not <laughs> luckily not had yeah. that one that bad. So yeah, we just kind of go. I didn't scan very well. Yes. there was there was never anywhere. It's like oh, I couldn't I couldn't get on board with this because of the panel layout. Yes. So yeah, worst panel layout I think is a mute point. I think it'd be interesting if we ever get one where we go. Yeah. Oh, this was bad <laughs> panel layout. So yeah, excusing that one. Um, but yeah, so good art, human target, absolutely. Public domain, I thought was an interesting one because that's Chris. That's sorry. Chip Zdarsky's own writing, uh, own drawing. But it's good. It was very unique. Like, that's the main thing is you can look at that. If ever he does the art for something, it's exactly that. You can pick that out immediately from the lineup. The actual title itself, goaded. Yes. Totally goaded. Don't know that the artwork is special enough for it to be the best artwork of the year. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I, I, I was more kind of paying it a bit of like, hey, it was good, but not quite best i think the thing with it is that it's competing with a lot of stuff that's a lot less grounded yeah it was a very grounded narrative wasn't it because there's no supers there's nothing shenanigany shenanigany happening <laughs> cromulent word it's perfectly cromulent <laughs> word um so there's nothing like that that's happening and so for something that grounded to have the best artwork it would need to be like gallery level images for yeah. every single panel and and they're good but they're not that good no it was more of a fun art style than a great art style yeah and and, and again i feel that because a lot of that comic book was two people in a room talking the art wasn't doing a whole lot to push the story along yeah the, good good facial expressions i remember great yeah no good yeah good quality faces i mean face work for me is just very important apparently mm. um no it was all very good and the title itself is incredible like definite contender for best writing of the year or just yeah. best overall comic of the year and what's great as well is i public domain just about edges in to the 2023 category because the trade paperback of yeah. that volume we read came out january 2023 we need to talk about do a power bomb yes because that looked fantastic it absolutely deserves a mention i loved the art in it yeah i am willing it might it definitely one of my favorites for the art but for very, very clear bias. Like, yeah. understandable but it looked bias. good. Yes. It definitely deserves a mention and very unique style. Like, I do any, nothing else really looks like it, which no. I thought was great. Uh, translating the very live action movement, like chaos of pro wrestling. Yeah. And like, I don't think at any point, like you as someone who's not versed in pro wrestling, I don't think at any point you were like, what is this character doing here? Like it, the movements, you could tell like where characters were flying to or running to or... Yeah, you know. and I think posing is a big thing in illustration and something like that that's so reliant on the intricacies of different wrestling moves and the way that the body looks and moves while they're doing those things mm. necessitated really great posing and it had that. Mm. The characters were all very well posed and, you know, the bodies need to look very realistic and they did um the impact as well like the slamming on the mat i remember being yeah. very good like very clear like impact pain like this is what's just happened i liked to do a powerbomb a lot more than i was expecting to That's and on reflection it's one of those that stayed with me a bit better than the rest yes there's some here that i'm looking at and i'm like i'm not even really sure i remember this that well mm. but do a powerbomb has stayed with me and i remember the story beats mm. at the end when god turns up <laughs> yeah. looks fantastic really great twist really interesting it's a double one-winged angel <laughs> absolutely insane although the technical name i recently discovered for it is it's actually a uh, electric chair driver 
Electric chair yeah. driver. But when Kenny Omega does it, it's a one-winged angel. Of course. So, yeah. um, Eight Billion Genies, great art, as I said. Very complimentary to the story because it, it knew when to pull back for yeah. the smaller bits. And then it knew when to like go full throttle with the big, crazy, bombastic scenes. There's this thing that happens to me sometimes where... So they say that the person who doesn't read gets to experience one life. And the person who reads experiences many, right? Right. And there are these times when I read a really great book where I feel this weird sense of comfort and also sadness that I don't get to exist in that world anymore. Hmm. Um, the last time I really remember feeling it was just recently when I finished Stardust by Neil Gaiman. Right. Very on brand for the podcast. Mm. Beautiful world building. And I kind of went, oh, I don't get to go to that place anymore because I've finished this book. Or at least I don't get to go to that place for the first time anymore. Yeah. And that is the way I still have that feeling when I think back to 8 Billion Genies, yeah. which is, oh, I don't get to go back to that world again for the first time because I don't get to read this for the first time again. Mm. And I think it's the artwork that is really pulling the weight there. Yeah. And so just in terms of the effect that artwork had on me and the way I feel about that comic book, what, like six, seven, six months after we read it? Yeah. It's really powerful stuff. So I, yeah. I I hold it in really high regard. The splash panels were fantastic. The constant, um, the the showing the earth at each stage was yeah. like the earth kept changing like shapes and structure and things yeah. like that. And then the, the way that they built the expressiveness into the genies. Yeah. I thought the genies at first were a bit, not hack, but I thought they were a bit oversimplistic for how good everything else was. But then I grew to love that style because I... Because the characters of the genies, I grew attached to. So there, by the end, I was like, I love this design because I've grown fond of just the concept and just, you know, hand in hand with the art. So you just love the art as well. So yeah, did a lot of great stuff. Uh, looking at the rest of the list, I don't think there's any others that really spike in terms of art. So uh... there's one more. And I know you don't like this book very much. Like, you didn't like it when we read it. I liked it a bit more than you. Mm. But again, I always thought the art was really great. Mosley. I did like the art. Like, I, there were scenes where my main issues were with the story and the mo character motivation. Art, I did like. Um, I wouldn't put it maybe as high as the others we're talking about right now. But there were scenes where Mosley was about to fight with some Leviathan monster. And it the scope looked really imposing. Yeah. And him charging forward with his, what was it, magic hammer, was magic it? magic hammer. Um, that, like, looked cool because he looked powerful, but yeah. he was still small compared to the large monster. But unfortunately, those parts were few and far in between as well. There was a lot of interesting art, for sure, but I don't think it's... it's it was worth a mention, but I, I definitely think it's low. Of the good art comics, it was on the lower scope of those. So what do we think takes the best art then? I think it's got to be 8 Billion Genies. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm totally we, there with you. We've spoken about it with such reverence that it kind of needs it, doesn't it? Yeah, no, totally. And mm. well-deserved. Um, I think this is going to pop up in a couple of the other categories as well, yep. maybe. Last couple Worst of issues art. that came out in 2023, uh, 8 Billion Genies. Um, Worst art. Worst art, yeah. Uh, well, there's one clear uh, <laughs> contender for you, I think. Yeah, John Romita Jr., motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Uh, one that I had kind of had to be schooled in a bit. Those I will Jack admit. And do you know what? Since then, I have taken those those panels on my phone that I took photographs of to every artist that I know, and I hang around in some pretty arty circles, don't yep. I? 
and they've all gone, yeah, that face is looking the wrong way. Yeah, I see what you're seeing, Jamie. Yeah. I, I needed that external validation on that one because I was so far on one side and you were so far yeah. on the other. I think it has to take it, mate. So one thing I just want to say on good art, I think when we overlooked for good art, I think it does deserve a mention was The Neighbours. So I think the oh, there was yeah, some really interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I'm not saying challenging for the title, but at least if we're talking about good art, I think the na- of 2023, The Neighbours did have some really interesting art. Like it was very smooth while being like, a bit uh creepy in parts and and there was very expressive faces yeah. like that that as you say is a difficult thing so i think the art in the neighbors deserves at least a mention of it was mm. good art so just a quick mention there just in case a uh, bad art i i'm gonna have to look through the list to compare to uh the amazing spider-man i mean i think the only thing that gets close has to be the ones the ones is gonna get a real <laughs> talking to the bit the thing with the ones was his very simplistic style which if the story was better i wouldn't have minded the I art was a bit mid wasn't it yes so i think the worst art has to be that spider-man comic i'm sorry john yeah uh i yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you there yeah worst art of 2023 yeah. of, of the comics that we've read yeah so well uh, done. yes, <laughs> and then well done, you. in terms of comics, so do we separate writing from overall comic? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I haven't put that in the thing, but yeah, so writing um, is, I mean, Human Target's got to be up there in terms of writing oh, for me, obviously. 100% the writing was fantastic on it. Mm. Public Domain was great writing, but it wasn't kind of as explosive and it wasn't quite as like gripping. Like it was Which fun. Which is what probably pitches it up there for me is it really set it apart from everything else with red yeah it was subtle the right the right exactly the writing was so human and nuanced Mm. and the way that the characters interacted was just so beautiful you really saw that family dynamic start to shine through Mm. and everything that the father had given to his work and wasn't getting back from it was really like you know telling and really powerful yeah yeah I i i think i think um public domain was some really powerful stuff yeah uh, do a powerbomb i think for me the writing i i it was so like i try to think of a word of like it was just so crazy at points and yeah. i that's what i liked about it it was well written i think the burgeoning relationship between the father and his daughter mm. uh where she didn't know what was going in and he did and i thought that was really well handled i thought the concept of it mm. like the core concept and the story beats yeah. whilst outlandish was really good the fact that they were able to have the last fight be with God yeah. could have been really hack. It could have been really cringe. But it and made they, sense, they didn't it? They pulled it off. Yeah, there's nothing cringe about that comic, even no. though it's, let's be frank here, one of the cringiest art forms coming out of America right now. I know you're a depends, big fan. It depends who you ask. I know you're a big fan, but even you have to acknowledge yeah. that from the outside, it's a bit... Wrestling's, pro wrestling's worst is a lot lower than a lot of <laughs> other mediums' worst. Um, They managed to create a really nuanced human story, but still having these epic proportions to it. Yeah. I don't know that it's the best of the year, though. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. I think it was, it was worth a mention. It, it was a nomination. Like, if we were just doing the best writing nominations oh, it would have been in there totally yeah which says a lot considering yes. we're about to talk about big house on the lake or nice house on the lake well should we go in the list eight billion genies we we have gone into the writing a bit already because it tied to with the story it was a really touching story that, yeah. that was set beautifully against this insane backdrop of a of a setting there's a line with it that's always stuck with me that's stuck with me ever, ever since yeah where he talks about practice and he says that learning a skill over time, that 
learning a skill is a wish that happens over time. Yeah. And I just thought, and, and I can't remember the exact quote, but that sentiment has really stuck with me because it's like really feeds into my ethos on life, which is that I can learn how to do anything because I'm tenacious. Yes. And the whole kind of meta story about the the meaning of want and yeah. desire and like how that plays into like this like outlandish setting of what if everyone on earth got a one wish yeah and you just it's one of those settings where like anyone could have taken it in a bunch of different ways yeah. and the way this went with it actually became a kind of meta-analysis on just the subject of wishing and wanting and desire i think yeah. like it did some really great things in that regard so it's definitely up there it's like it's 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 gotta be neck and neck if it doesn't win like that's yeah. where i'm placing it uh nice house on the lake writing was very very interesting and foreboding and it was paced really well i don't think we go like pacing as a full-on category but it's worth mentioning in writing i think what's really interesting about that one is there was an epistolary element to it as well Mm. so a big chunk of the exposition was dealt with through essentially screenshots of emails and stuff throughout the years yeah but they were really well metered out and i'm a big fan of the epistolary novel yeah. I'm a big fan of like, you know, Dracula's a really great example of an epistolary. Um, it was a really, really popular way to write a novel in the Victorian era. It's kind of died off. And so seeing something this hypermodern with this really great avant-garde art style, fantastically laid out, mm. really great use of visuals in storytelling. To then see it also have these epistolary elements with these really great character motivations gotta be up there man yeah 100 uh i thought what was great about it was in the way they did each issue was focused on one character at a time yeah as soon as you got to like the second or third what it the the technique that was used got across the if there's a character who you've not really like seen much of yet they're going to get their own issue so like that immediately tells you if there's there's more to come even if it's not given you away and to do that with the way the story is told i thought was a great technique in itself as well yeah totally so nice has like definitely up there um human target we've talked about it's on there twice <laughs> for some reason <laughs> well we might have to put much. it through then um and yeah i think in terms of great writing those are the proper contenders and it's got it's between eight billion genies and nice house and lake isn't it yeah it is i don't know if i can give it to one of them ryan <sighs> i know i know it's it's this is this is the work this is the work this we signed is the up work, for isn't it i don't i don't know that i can give it to either of them because they're both so fantastic in different ways i think for me i think eight billion genies edges out just a bit and that's because it yeah. made me feel it was a it was so Nice House and Lake, we assume there's more to come because, yeah. and there might have been more, for, I haven't checked, there might have been more released. A Billion Genies was a A-issue, compact, beginning, middle, end. And I think that might be why it resonated with me so much mm. is that I read all of it. And A Billion Genies, I think, had the better ending of what we read because it was a proper ending as opposed to Nice House and Lake might be doing some more stuff, which might be fantastic as well. Yeah, and I devoured it hungrily. Mm. I was hungry for 8 Billion Genies in a way that I'm often not for the stuff we read. So I think for that, it just has to take best writing. On a technicality, it's won best writing, which, I mean, compared to what it was up against, I think that's done really well. So best overall comic... I oh, think, do we do worst writing? Oh, the ones. The ones. <laughs> like, That's a quick one. That yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. I think best. Jo- uh, before we, for mentioning why, quip heavy, Whedon esque dialogue to, to a fault. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think because it's so old, it doesn't get to be there. Yeah. And again, 
you've been saying this the whole time and I've been advocating for older stuff being in and now we've gotten here I'm right on the same page as you which is like the older stuff just doesn't get to be there at the moment yeah. because it there's had all its these... time yeah I mean it's fantastic I mean we both adore it don't we wait are we still talking about the ones no why the last man oh we're <laughs> still talking about the ones I was like Oh, in terms of writing, yeah, why one of the best written comics of all time, yeah. easily. But yeah, the ones, the, again, the quippiness, the it was it seemed like it was churned out quite quickly. We know Brian Michael Bendis is capable of better things. Yeah. He created better characters that yeah. have lasted well after his writing it's them. It's a hot mess, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it was just lazy. Like, that's the main thing. It was lazy. The big fight at the end, like, didn't happen, or they quipped their way out of it, yeah, which just sucked. Yeah, it's just bollocks. Yeah, just, yeah, it's the ones. So, yeah, best overall comic, or should we do worst overall comic first? The is that, was that also the ones? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, fair. I think the best overall and worst overall comics are just the best and worst overall writing, if I'm honest with you. I mean, for us, like, we, d- I, I think the thing is, we've given A Billion Genes the best writing, it was also a close contender for best art, but whereas... Nice house on the lake. Didn't we give best art to eight million? We should genies? have. We, yeah, we should have memorized this. We, we should have. We gave this down. best writing and best art to eight million genies. Yeah, I'll I think, listen back to this if. Uh, if so necessary. nice house on the lake got best panel layout. Yes, yes, it did. Eight billion genies got best art and best writing, which yeah. I think by default it's going to have to be best overall comic. It's yeah. best overall and comic for the stuff we were raving about. Like that, the writing specifically might have geared us towards those feelings. But then we didn't have those feelings for anything else because they didn't have the best writing either, or as good a writing as A Billion Genie. So or as good art. Like yeah. you what? know, if 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 it's if it's if it's getting the award for best writing and best art, I think it's then hard to advocate for anything being better than it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I will say personally, I do think Human Target had more of an effect on me than Eight Billion Genies. But it's probably because not only am I obviously a bias for Tom King work, it was also super more superhero based. So that's more my, up my alley. And if we're being frank here, it was a close contender for best art and best writing alongside Nice House on the Lake and 8 Billion Genies. Yes. So I think personally, and this isn't the award giving, but personally my favourite was Human Target. But in terms of I think we have to be a little more objective with the award, I think 8 Billion Genies, being that it didn't have any pre-existing characters like Human Target did, I think it deserves the award for having such an original concept slightly more original than human target even though human target was such an interesting new way of doing a superhero story i mean you know that the very end of human target where they're sat on that ice boat on the sea beautiful and they're just talking and nothing's really happening anymore they've kind of worked out the beats of the story he's still gonna die isn't he yep and he has that conversation with this girl that he's built this intense attachment with in probably the darkest moment of his life and he's really held his shit together through this whole thing and then you kind of just see under the surface of his emotions he admits being scared of dying and and that that's informed how he has been his whole life like such yeah. a deep moment but again a billion genes has those as well with the uh, desire and one like i keep saying i think so maybe i mean may, maybe it is just human target mate i think again stepping back a bit objectively i think it should go to a billion genies even though it it was i still loved it it wasn't necessarily my my personal top favorite but in terms of giving awards and thinking what was the best of the year i think a billion genies achieved more mm. than human target and i think i i feel like i'm trying to get some kind of credibility as like a reviewer <laughs> to be like i'm giving it for these reasons and i think mm. that is more important than my own personal taste 
Yeah, but again, just thinking back to that last passage of Human Target. But then also you think that last bit of 8 Billion Genies. Which was so beautiful. The last wish being made. And the fact that it got to that with more crazy, bombastic, uh, like big panel outs and superpowers and like... uh, dinosaurs i'm trying to remember things that were in the big smash the earth changing shape the fact that went from all that to then quiet personal character growth and emotional depth i think again like i that's why i think i have to give it to a billion genies no i think you're right i think that's a beautifully profound sentiment to end the year out on Mm. as well but tom king could easily get it next year like oh mate i mean fuck me supergirl if we'd have done this in 2021, yep. Supergirl would have been right up there for me, man. I really liked that comic. So do I. And that's a lesson for anyone listening. If you're thinking of doing something creative, start now just in case you miss out on doing something <laughs> when you could have. So, but yeah, that is our cheers and cheers for the year. Um, do we do we run through this list and give it the rankings? So real quick, some we've already given. Oh, uh, but we ended on such a beautifully profound moment, Ryan. Yeah, but that's not like us. Like that's uh, not fine, how fine, works. fine. Let's stick to the structure. Let's do it. So Miles Morales, Spider-Man Mid, Boo Bill, Graduation A, Fringe, Human Target, Goated, Public Domain, Goated, Goated. Yeah, uh, Dual Power Bomb, Base to Goated, Strong Base, Base yeah. to Goated. It was really good. The ones. Cringe. Cri- no, it needs a special subcategory. It's Whedon cringe. Whedon esque. <laughs> yeah. Too Whedon esque. Uh, a billion genies, goated, obviously. obviously. Top, the top goat, obviously. Amazing Spider-Man, cringe. Nice Hudson Lake, goated. Mosley. Mid? I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give it, even though I have strong issues with it. It's overall, mid to cringe. It was, it was mid, yeah. Blue Beetle Graduation Day, cringe, unfortunately. Human Target, again, goated. Um, the Neighbours, mid. Yeah. Big swing and a miss. Rick and Morty, cringe. cringe. Harrower, mid. mid. Uh, yeah, totally decent mid, mid yeah. Cosmic Detective, I'd go based. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed a lot of it. And Doctor Who, based, strong yeah, based. Really yeah, really good. We've done the rankings. That's how we finish out the year and ring in the new year. So thank you so much to all of you who have been listening and downloading this and, you know, enjoying it in whatever way you have. Thank you so much. I would say I'm not interrupting you like I normally do, but I want to also say, you know, in the same sentiment, Thank you to everyone who's downloaded, who's streamed, who's listened. We've, especially because we have started this from basically zero Nothing. internet presence. Uh, we were very lucky and we need to give a shout to uh, Pocket, Pocket Casts, who arguably might have given us a boost too early, yeah. um, but it, we still benefit from it hugely and hopefully we'll do more stuff with them again. Yeah, like, a huge be- shout out to whoever put us on that list because mm. it meant, I mean, we've not gone into this on the podcast, but when we got onto that list... Almost every other podcast on that Geek Speak list on Pocket Casts was made by a big production company. And just scrolling across and seeing all like CBS, HBO, all these huge names, and then the Comic Literate podcast by Ryan and Jamie was massive for me. Um, you know, just you know, just getting to be there with all these huge productions was really amazing. Uh, specifically, thank you to uh, Emmeline Berry at Pocket Casts. She was the one who uh, at least notified us of being on the list. So, so thank you, know, you so much, Emmeline Berry. That was massive for us. Mm. That was really, really appreciated. And uh, if we're about done, I've got uh, the little thing to end on, which is yeah, do it. A quote I found today uh, by one Alan Moore. Oh, great! And I thought it was just it was it was representative of the superhero genre, but also just you know stories in general. It's him actually talking about Superman specifically. Yeah, and. He talking about the appeal of Superman, he said, and this is one of those Alamore quotes where I think this is one of the nicer ones for once. He said, Talking about Superman, he cannot be a god, 
because gods are dictators who set rules for others to follow. Superman sets rules for himself and uses those rules to our benefit. And I think much if, as Alan Moore does. It, much as the, the, <laughs> the mystical Alan Moore who <laughs> has to restrict his power, <laughs> his magical power. Yeah, that's the best way to end it on. And we will hopefully see you or you'll listen to us again in 2024. Yeah, thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.